I'd like us to turn to Luke chapter 2. If you do have your Bibles, I think it will be helpful uh, for you to follow as we look at the story with regard to the shepherds. I'm going to read the the relevant passage, which is in Luke chapter 2, and then I'll pray, and then we'll look at what it says for us. So, Luke chapter 2, and I'll start reading from verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you for your word that you've given to us. Thank you that it's a living word. Thank you that you speak to us through your word. And we pray that now, as we turn to it, that you would help us all by your Spirit to discern and to understand the things that you are saying to us. And we pray that you would give us obedient and responsive hearts, that we might please you and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I ask how many of you have been to a nativity play this year already? How many have participated in a nativity play this year perhaps? How many have ever been to a nativity play? In Congo, where we worked for a, a good number of years, 
they had a scene in the nativity plays that they had, which I doubt um, are seen in the nativity plays here in this country. Uh, When you played as part of that nativity scene, were you a soldier? Has anyone seen a nativity scene with soldiers? The killing of the babies. I don't think that's part of the nativity scene really because it's at least two years later. But anyway, the point of it that I'm trying to make is that we are familiar with the nativity scenes, we're familiar with the nativity story, but I wonder whether the very comforting familiarity that we have with nativity stories may deaden our understanding that these stories are not just stories, but this is a very real event about a very real person. As we look at the passage, we see very clear indicators of the reality of the event. Who is the person in view? He's described as Saviour Christ the Lord. And what is the story? What is it all about? It's a story that he has been born in a manger wrapped in cloths. What's the time frame? Time is given here. It is today. Where is, it, where is this going to happen? It's going to happen in the town of David. How is it going to happen? And here we have the wonder, the wonder of this whole story. How is it going to happen? It's going to happen because of God's grace to us. And this is the miracle. God has sent His Son Born, yes, but born also to die for us. Remember what the angel said to Joseph, you will call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from this sin. And so the scene for the shepherds is set for us in the early part of the chapter. We see that the emperor, the Roman emperor, sends out the word, let there be a census, because I'm going to tax you. That's the point of having the census, so that there would be a good system of tax. And right from the very beginning of this story about the shepherds, we see the contrast between the world, the demands, the taxes, the takes that requires, and the kingdom of our God who gives, who blesses, and who enriches. The emperor says give, and the rest of this passage is God giving to us. Rather than the emperor taking from us, God gives to us his own son. And who is the message of God's grace first imparted to it? It is to the shepherds that we see indicated there in verse 8. And as Elaine indicated from the shepherds in Lesotho, what is true in Lesotho today is true of what was happening at the time of the Lord Jesus. They were the, the shepherds were the outcasts of society. They were bottom of the social pile. They were marginalized and unappreciated. They were seen not just as physically dirty, but also spiritually dirty. They weren't there at the regular washings that were part of the Jewish uh, religious practices of the time. Their testimony was inadmissible in court. If they were brought into court to give witness, their testimony was rejected because they were viewed as liars and unreliable people. 
And so it is to such people that the message of grace is sent to the first group of people. This is the wisdom of God. This is God's economy. If we were planning to a, a program to announce the birth of the Lord Jesus, we would have chosen people of authority, people of power, people of influence. But God chooses the unappreciated. God chooses the marginalized to show His power and to show His grace. wonder who the marginalized are in our day and generation. Maybe the homeless, street women, illegal immigrants, the big issue seller. But even as the message of God's grace was sent to the marginalized of His day, so that message is sent to the marginalized of our day today. And I wonder how you are feeling this morning. Maybe you're not homeless. Maybe you're not socially marginalized, but inside you're feeling rejected. Maybe friends have put you to one side. Maybe you're not appreciated amongst your colleagues. Maybe you're feeling that weight of being left out. Well, that's the message of God's grace is for you, as it is for all men. And so, these shepherds, what were they doing in verse 8? They were going about their business. They were living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And then in verse 9, an angel of the Lord comes into their lives. Unexpectedly. Unexpectedly, God comes into their lives and changes their lives. And this is the encouragement that we have in our own situations. This is the way that God works. He works unexpectedly, in a surprising way. And He brings changes to our lives. Maybe that's your own experience, that you are going about your daily work, And then somebody gave a testimony to you. Somebody shared something from the Word of God. Somebody explained the way of salvation and then God intervened into your life and that life, your life began began to be changed and transformed. And maybe you're considering a situation in your family or at work, something that you've been praying about that has been heavy upon your heart and you're not seeing God at work. Take courage from this situation. Shepherds were going about their daily work and then God breaks in and God changes their heart. Now what's the response of the shepherds? Their initial response as the glory of the Lord shines around them, they were terrified. Another uh, translation gives it, they were terribly frightened. And maybe... That's an attitude that some do have when God comes into, their, it comes into our lives. There's a fear, there is an uncertainty, there is a reluctance because of what God might do, of, God, what, of what God might say in our lives. But what's the answer in verse 10 to their fear, to their uncertainty? Do not be afraid. And so God addresses that fear. God addresses that uncertainty. 
and one of the 365 times in the Scripture, the words are said, do not be afraid. And how easy it is for fear to grip our hearts instead of opening our hearts to the message of God's grace. We wonder what God is going to do, and yet the message is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The message is one of hope. This wasn't going to be a message of condemnation or of judgment. This wasn't going to be a message where the shepherds were going to be squashed and condemned, confirmed in their rejection. This was going to be a message of hope and of transformation for them and for the world. What is it? I bring you good news of great joy. And you see, it's not just of joy, but heaven itself declares this, qualifies this joy as great joy. I wonder how you would define joy in your understanding. What is joy? I think there's that deep sense of well-being an overriding delight in God and in His ways that gives us a true perspective on life and that warms our hearts to Him. And this is the message. This is the message. This is what God is doing for this world. And as we look at the world around us, and maybe even as we look at our own heart, I wonder whether this characterizes our situation today. Looking at the news, it's surely not that there is great joy. It's war, it's pain, it's trouble. Even this morning, I don't know if you heard, uh, in Nigeria, there were 60 people at least who were killed when the roof of a church fell upon them. This week, there were 45,000 people made homeless in Indonesia because of earthquakes and, and troubles there. Mogadishu this morning, again car bombs. Trouble, trouble, pain and pain. And what is the message that God gives to us through His Word this morning? In that context of difficulty, God ministers great joy to us. What's your own personal situation? Whatever it is, the message for you as you receive this message is of great joy. And this great joy will be for all the people. So it's not just for the disadvantaged, not just for the, the, the rejected shepherds, it's for all people. It's for the other rejected of the day, the women, the Pharisees, the tax collectors. You remember Jesus ministered to those disadvantaged to communicate that his message was not just for them, but for all people. Because if it was for the disadvantaged, if it was for the marginalized, it would therefore be for all people as well. And so, because this message is for all people, that's why we share with our friends. That's why we teach our children. So that, that's why we communicate with our neighbors. That's why we go to people of different faiths, because they need to know this good news as well. And that's why we go to the shepherds of Lesotho. And that's why we go to the unreached of this world, 
because this news is for them. And so what is the basis of that news, that good news? Why is it good news? Why is, it, why is there great joy? Because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. It's an announcement of the birth of the Christ. What does Christ mean? It means the promised one, the anointed one, the chosen one. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises that he was going to send a Redeemer, a Messiah. And so, this is the good day. This is the wonderful day because he has come. He is described as Saviour and Lord. Underlying in all of Scripture is that teaching that we have all fallen from God's standard. We aren't what we would like to be, let alone what God commands us to be. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We have failed, we have fallen. And so we need a Savior. And this is the message that the angel gave to the shepherds. The Savior has come. The long-awaited one who will redeem, who will save, who will deliver. He will rescue you. And that's why it's a day of great joy. But even as it may be a day of great joy, we also have to recognize that as it's a, He is a gift to us, we have a responsibility towards that good news. In a few weeks' time, I'm guessing that all of us will have one present or, or more. And as we receive the present... I'm sure that each one of us will go that next step and open the present and to see what's been given to us. And so in a similar way as God gives to us this present, gives to us His most precious gift, the gift of His own Son, we have a responsibility to receive it, to open it, to welcome it, to welcome Him into our hearts. He's described as Christ the Lord. What does that mean? It means that as we receive the Lord Jesus, as He is our Lord, we live no longer for ourselves. We live according to His plan and to His purpose. The Christian doesn't belong to himself any longer, but he belongs to the Saviour. The Word directs His life. We walk in His ways. We walk in His paths rather than ourselves. But before we move on, I just want us to recognize some very important element in verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. When we hear of children being born in the church or we share the news of a birth at work, we say that a baby, that Jane has been born to John and Joan. It could have been that the angel would say a baby has been born to Mary and her husband Joseph. But what's the text say? What is God saying? 
He has been born to you. He has been born to you. This is for you that He has been born. And as that was true for the shepherds, so it is true for us today that Jesus has been born to you and to you and to you and to you. That's the marvel of God's grace that He's given His very own Son, His very best. And the Lord Jesus has been given to you and to you. That's the good news. You, with all your failings, with all your messes, with all your brokenness, He's been given to you. And even Christian, maybe you've enjoyed the salvation, maybe you've appreciated deeply what God has done, and yet you wonder as you live your life and wonder about your unfaithfulness in this way or in that way, the message again to you this morning that He has been born to you. The Lord Jesus is for you. The question is, have you received Him? Have you said yes to the Lord Jesus? This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And so in these very words, which were a sign of God's love, were perhaps a reminder that the Lord Jesus, wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, would also be wrapped in a shroud and he would be laid in a tomb. But this was a signal and verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying. It's almost as if that one sentence, uh, two sentences, was a trigger for those heavenly hosts to start praising God. I don't know if you've been on the common on um, a Saturday afternoon, and then all of a sudden you hear a great, a goal has been scored at the stadium. And in some senses, this is what's happening here. That as the angel announces this wonder, so it's as though the heavenly crowd say, Yes! Amazed at what God is doing. Just overcome with the wonder that God, pure in all His beauty and holiness, should send his son to be born in the womb of a woman, in poverty, in an occupied country, in order to die for people like you and you and me might be saved. And so there's an explosion of praise and what is said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men, on whom his favor rests. And so, this is another part of the message. Peace on men on whom his favor rests. And so, what's peace? It's not just an absence of conflict, but it's that settled assurance that relationships are good. That there's no cloud, there's no doubt, and there's no frown in that relationship, but that there is a warmth of welcome 
with sweetness and delight. That's what peace is for the child of God. That as he looks to his heavenly Father, he realizes that because of what Christ has done, not because of what he has done, but because of what Christ has done, his Father looks upon him with joy and with delight. Just think, if you can, just for a second, to that scene in, of, a, of a lake surrounded by mountains and it's early morning and there's not a breath of wind. There's not a ripple on that lake. That lake is like glass. Nothing is moving. Everything is steady. Everything is clear. And that's the peace that there is for the child of God in his relationship to his father. Because he knows that he is accepted and that he is acceptable. Accepted with all his brokenness, with all his troubles. He is accepted because of what Christ has done for him. Christ has taken his sin, taken his mess, taken his brokenness and given his righteousness. And so when the Father looks upon the child of God, he sees him with joy and with delight. And so that's why there is peace to all men, because he is accepted, and because he is acceptable. That peace also has impact upon our own understanding of ourselves. We might think, yes, God accepts me, but I'm unhappy with myself. I find it difficult to forgive myself. I find it difficult because I'm not what I would like to be. God's peace is for you. And to encourage you that in those struggles, He ministers peace so that you are at peace with God and at peace with yourself because you know that He loves you and He accepts you as you are. Let me encourage you that as you grapple with those difficulties, maybe your family is in a mess, maybe you're concerned about finances, maybe you're weighted down because of a job situation, can I encourage you to take those weights to the one who has come to carry them? What does Isaiah 53 say? Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. 1 Peter 5, 7 says... Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And so it's as we give him our cares, as we give him our troubles, as we give him our sense of inadequacies and brokenness, so then does he minister peace and rest for our souls. And what's the key to knowing this peace? Look at the order of that verse in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men. It's when we give God glory when He is in the first place in our lives so then everything else falls into place and that we experience that peace. 
If we want that peace, we need the peacemaker. If we want that salvation, we need the Savior. And so as He is in that place, as He has that priority in our lives, so then do we know the fruits of salvation that He has come to give to us. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. What do we see here? They acted on the message and went to see the baby. So they just didn't simply acknowledge and thank God for the message. They acted on it. They responded to it. And they went to see the one who was the Prince of Peace. After they saw the Lord Jesus, verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. This is a model for us. Our joy and our privilege at Christmas time is to spread the word concerning this good news. And everybody heard this news. And who was sharing this good news? These were the so-called liars. These people who were unappreciated, and yet they spread the word because there was obviously change within their lives. They spoke with an authority that came from heaven. And now they weren't speaking in a court, they were speaking out of that personal testimony, having had their lives changed having met the Lord Jesus. And then what did they do in verse 20? They returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they'd seen, heard and seen, which were just as they'd been told. They returned to their places of ministry, places of work rather, and there they ministered, there they praised God. And so life continued. And so... What I was hoping to communicate to you this morning, there were three things. That we have great joy. This message is of great joy. Secondly, that we have great peace because of what Christ has won for us. And supremely, we have a great Savior. It's not because of what we do. It's not because of what we have done. But it's because of what He has done for us that we can have that joy and that we can have that peace. I just want to close with an illustration from um, my travels. Um, in the last little while, I had need to go to South Africa uh, twice. And uh, the first time, I realized uh, in the course of my travels that the yellow fever certificate that I needed to have uh, was still in my scanner at home and uh, that I just had uh, the electronic version. Now, um, I was a little concerned about going to South Africa with just uh, a, a, a copy from the electronic copy to, to show because... Uh, a few years ago, some of our members who were coming from Mozambique to uh, South Africa, they uh, didn't have 
their yellow certificates. And uh, because they arrived at night and the medical department had gone uh, home for the night, uh, they were put in jail because they had to wait until the following morning to get the certificate, uh, to, to have the jab to, to get their certificate. So clearly they, they, had some, uh, they were looking at this somewhat seriously. And so I was coming to the uh, passport control with my uh, printed off copy of the electronic copy, which, as you can appreciate, wasn't the card itself, wondering what are they going to say. I had opportunity uh, a few weeks later to go back to South Africa, but this time I made sure that I had the real thing. How do you think there was a difference in my own heart as I went up to those immigration those two times. The first time, some uncertainty. Second time, I was okay because I knew I had the real thing. So I just want to challenge us this morning. Sometimes at Christmas time, because we're associated, because we're connected with the church and because we and sing carols and we give presents, sometimes we might think that We've got the real thing. It might look the same. It might look like what others are doing. But it's not the real thing. Like my first time to emigration, what I had, it wasn't the real thing. It was a copy. It was an imitation. Second time I went, I had the real thing. And I encourage us all to come to the Lord Jesus and enjoy from him the real thing that he offers, us, offers to us all. That, and so we might enjoy that message of great joy and great peace. And so we give great glory to our great Saviour.